If you would, turn in your Bibles to Song of Solomon, or if you prefer, Song of Songs, uh, whichever one your translation has it listed as, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Last week, we talked about this beautiful comparison of the pursuit of marriage, pursuit of Christ toward us, and eventually our pursuit toward Christ and how what a, what a unique blessing that is that he pursues after us. He, he comes after us. And then that, that we, as we have come to follow him, we then, we then want to pursue back towards him. We want to know more of who he is and, and how he loves us and how he cares for us. Today, I want us to consider the responsibility of protection. And what that looks like. And so we'll, we'll look at that uh, in this romantic poetry of Song of Solomon. And as such, maybe that will uh, demonstrate a reminder for us of, or a reflection for us of what that can look like in the midst of the gospel. So when I was uh, five or six years old, someone, I, I, maybe you don't know this about me, so I have an older brother and an older sister, and I'm the, I'm the baby of the family. And um, my, I, someone picked on my sister. I do not know the, remember the circumstances of that, uh, but I do remember that, I mean, it's, it, I'm sure it wasn't me, um, but, but maybe it was my older brother, maybe there was somebody else uh, that, that picked on her. In some way, I have I really don't remember, but something happened, and my dad brought my brother and I uh, to, to the kitchen table to have a, a pretty serious conversation about our responsibility to protect our sister. And, and I just, I mean, it, it sunk in with me. And I'm pretty sure at that age, um, my dad was, was saying it to my brother, but like didn't want to leave the little guy out. So he included me in the conversation. And so I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm starting to, to, like, gear up, right? I'm ready for the fight. Like, I don't even know what's happening. And, and so I'm feeling this inside me. And, and for, for really a couple weeks, this is, like, welling up. Like, I dare somebody to mess with my sister. You know, one of those. And uh, remember, I'm just five or six at the time. And uh, so, so fast forward just a couple weeks and... Um, the older kids were having some sort of like marshmallow fight in the, in the church yard, okay? I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what was happening, but, but I, I walked up. I, had, I left my time, and so it was like right after, this is Wednesday night, and the kids are running around or whatever, and, and my sister, as she's running, her shoe came off, and... Uh, I remember how much she loved these shoes. And uh, I, I don't know anything about girls' shoes. And I realize I have two girls, but I, I don't know anything about girls' shoes. But I remember very specifically, these were Sam and Libby shoes. And I don't, I don't know if that speaks to any of you, um, but Sam and Libby was a big deal. I don't know, but she had Sam and Libby shoes. And this, this kid took a marshmallow and shoved it in her Sam and Libby shoe, and I saw it. And it, the conversation with my dad 
Now remember, this is all some marshmallow game. So like they're all having fun. Alicia's not upset. Like nobody's, it's fine. But like he just smashed a marshmallow in her Sam and Libby shoe and that was it. I start chasing after this kid. Now he's like five or six years older than me, but I, I tripped him and like he, he falls to the ground and no lie with like every bit of me. I, I reared back and I, I kicked him in the back, like hard. Now it's five-year-old hard, but it's hard, right? It doesn't feel good. And he looked at me and then I thought, That dude's a lot bigger than me. And so I'm out. Like, I just start sprinting away. He's got marshmallows in his hand. He's like throwing them at me. He's chasing after me everywhere. He catches me because he's five years older than me. This wasn't going well for me. He smashes a marshmallow in my hair. Like, I'm now like, what do you do? You know, I'm, I'm, he's crying. His mom is crying. There's a whole scenario. And my dad, my dad, who's on staff at the church, comes out and is like, he's now having to calm the mom down because she's like, he could have paralyzed him. This is, I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking like, really? Like that's where we're at? We just went that far. So, so there's this protection piece that I, I was thinking this is it. Meanwhile, I've got a clump of marshmallow still in my hair. And I remember, uh, I went home and like, there's not really a good way to get marshmallow out of your hair. You literally, I just had to go like, set it in the tub, like till it dissolved, like, right? And I remember sitting in, in the tub with it dissolving and dad coming in and say, like trying to clarify what he meant by protect your sister. It wasn't just this physical protection from some other kid who put a marshmallow in her Sam and Libby shoe. It was more even about like protecting her emotions, being kind to her, and certainly not letting others speak poorly of her. And then if, if somebody does, you gotta stand up for her, right? But, but like, please don't paralyze the 12-year-old, you know? Um, so, so as we think about protection, even in our marriages and in other relationships that we have, I, I think it will be helpful to kind of keep that picture of, of what all does protection look like. So I would say that, remember, we've got this he and she, and then there's the others that get uh, all a part of this poetry. And in chapter three, we will see that he is protective enough to call on others to help. So he is, he is protective enough to call on others. So again, look at uh, chapter three, look at verse six. It says, what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the fragrant powders of a merchant. Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with a sword at his thigh against terror by night. 
King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its black back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior was inlaid with love of the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with, his, with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of gladness of his heart. Now, if you just heard that, like, like I did, like the first time you just, uh, if you're doing like a Bible reading and you get the Song of Solomon and you just read through it because you, you, have, to, you have to to be able to check the box that you read Song of Solomon, you, you don't necessarily see in this protection. But I want you to catch this one particular part. When, when you get to a verse seven, he says that there are 60 mighty men some of them described as this mighty men of Israel. This, this term mighty men is a term of those that would protect others. So, so David had, uh, you find this in 1 Samuel, David had mighty men. So he had his guys. Like This is like uh, the closest of close. Right? These are the guys that are going to know where he is, what he's doing, uh, when he's doing it, and even how best to protect him. So, so there's these mighty men who are being called on for this significant moment of, of protection. In fact, there's a, there's a wedding. And so these mighty men are being called on for this wedding, the, the wedding of he and she. And, and so this is a significant picture of kind of bringing all the troops in to make sure that everything is okay, that everything is, is gonna be fine, that no, no intruders are going to come. Nobody's going to go against in this moment. Everything's go, there's, there's too much there's too much at stake. And so... I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this bringing others into the picture. And I certainly don't think that I, at, at five or six years old, would have been considered one of those mighty men. But, but I, I thought about my dad. And I thought about dad saying, there's others that need to kind of encircle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna call on you, sons, to to speak a word of encouragement to your sister. I'm gonna call on you to, to gather around and, and be a, a voice of protection for her. And so naturally, as we are looking at this picture of romance and thinking about our own lives and relationships, it made me think some about our marriages and what protection looks like in marriage. I actually think there's two particular ways that husbands and wives ought to protect one another. We'll, we'll see a few, but one is to protect with the word. To protect with the word. I, I wonder if you are very often one who reads passages of scripture with your spouse, to your spouse on behalf of, like, to encourage them? Do you, do you write notes and, that, that have passages of Scripture with them? Do you say God's Word together? You know how we start our gatherings reading the Word together? It's not like, uh, it's not like we have to do that because that's the only time we're going to get Scripture in today. No, we do that as a, as a reminder for ourselves of like why we are here. And similarly, there is a, a protection of the word that when we remind each other in our relationships, here's why we are here. 
there is health to us reading scripture together. I would also say to protect with prayer. I wonder, like, when was the last time you prayed with your spouse? For your spouse? When's the last time you, you sat down, opened the Bible, read it, and then prayed? Maybe that needs to happen more in your family. And maybe some of you would say, the last time was yesterday morning, because it's every morning. This is what we do. This is our habit, or it's every night. By God's grace, we, we pray together. And by the way, if that's the case, I want to celebrate that and rejoice that, that God is bringing that in you. If it's not, I want to encourage it all the more. And by the way, not just for marriages, but this is, this is part of what God has designed for us is to protect us in this way. So, so if it's not just for marriages, what does this look like in the gospel? Well, you need to be reminded that the Lord graciously provides you with protection by his spirit through his word. The Lord graciously provides you with protection. So this covering, this 60 mighty men kind of picture here, God provides you with protection specifically as followers of Christ. He gives us an armor, right? Y'all remember the armor of God, Ephesians chapter six? This is good word. I wanna remind you of this, Ephesians six. You might write this passage down to go back and read it later, or you can turn there either way. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In fact, I am. I'm gonna ask you to, to turn there because there's something I want you to do. Go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. I know it's on the other side of the, the Bible, but go there. And I want you to, I want you to notice something in this text. As you, as you see it, uh, or once we, once we read through it, you might go back and underline or circle some of these words. So Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10 says, finally, be strong in who? The Lord. So this is not your strength. This is his strength. And in the strength of his might, not your might, but his might. You catching this? So before we even get going, you're, you're getting an idea that this is not you who can do this. It has to be him. So put on the, uh, put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Pause just for a second. I know, I know that for some of us, there are times when it really does feel like we're wrestling against flesh and blood. When we're having that heated argument, we're, you might even call it a fight, in your house, at your job, you're, you're having that moment and it feels an awfully like, awfully lot like flesh and blood, doesn't it? But I need you to hear Paul say again, we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of 
God. This is not your armor, it's his. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So catch this. Right here at the beginning, we see that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're supposed to put on the armor of God so that we can go fight this battle. Again, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Then it gives very specific details. It's a belt of truth. It's not like your truth. It's not one of those flimsy things where you, you start to decide what truth is on your own. No, it's already established. So, so the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We know if you have been in this church, at least for very long, you've heard before that righteousness does not come of your own. You do not, you and I are not righteous on our own. So this breastplate of righteousness we put on ourselves is given to us by God. Once again, shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, a peace that passes all understanding that you cannot receive in and of yourself. You do not conjure up peace. You do not sit in silence long enough to create peace. There's a shield of faith. This is something that is given to you according to the book of God, the, the word of God. It's also his book. The helmet of salvation. This is the salvation that is offered to you, placed on you like a crown of righteousness, the sword of the spirit. It even describes it as the word of God. So all of this is gifts to you from him. You think you can just like conjure up enough skill, enough, you know what, I'm gonna figure out how to save, rescue my marriage all by myself, or I'm gonna be able to save my, my job, or I'm gonna be able to make all my relationships work just hunky-dory on your own. You will fail over and over and over again. You say, well, what about those marriages that are two lost people that have been married for 60 years? It doesn't mean it was a Christ-honoring, God-glorifying marriage. Just because it made it, that's not what our goal is, right? Church, our goal is not just like survive. Our goal is to live a life that is abundant in Christ, to display the glory of God in and through our marriages, in and through all of our relationships in such a way that it is evident that we are conquering the enemy day after day after day. So, when I, when I think about this, this one brief little passage in Song of Solomon where, where there is a, a protective group being brought in for the very purpose of like sustaining the health of this relationship. I'm so grateful that, that God by his perfect plan gives us an armor to clothe ourselves with that we not only can, can be protected in and of ourselves, but it is that those very same elements that will protect your marriage from demise. It is those very same elements that will protect your family from cracking. And, and 
hear me. I know marriages in which one of the individuals was, was, was clinging to these truths and one wasn't. And, and they, it, it, it cracked, it broke. And so I don't want you to hear me saying that, well, if, if you'll just hold to this, that nothing will ever go wrong in your life. But what I'm saying is that you will have what is necessary to not just survive that heartache, but to thrive in the midst of it. When, when everything isn't going the way you want it to. And so there was this effort to call others to protect, and it is good to know that we can call on our God to bring that protection for us. So while he calls on these others to help, she is confident enough to speak well of him. We're gonna, we're gonna skip past chapter four and some of chapter five, not, not to say that those aren't worthy passages, but just not for right now. So I want you to go to chapter five, verse 10. So in the first few verses of chapter five, Describe, it's, it's, it's harder to uh, interpret a little bit, but there's, there's basically a disagreement and you kind of see this first little scuffle. Dis it's, not even a, it's not even a fight because of the way it's handled and it's handled in a pretty appropriate way, particularly by the husband, handles it well. And uh, so there's this disagreement between he and she and he leaves the room. He doesn't like, like I'm never coming back. He just is like, I need to take a breather because if I don't, I'm going to say something I regret. You know how those ever, anybody ever had those? You don't have to raise your hand, right? You know what I'm saying though, right? Where I just, I, I need to not say anything. And so she goes after him. A little while goes past and she begins to describe him to others. She's looking for him in, the, in town, essentially. And so you get to... Um, you get to, to verse 10, and I want you to remember this. They just left an argument. They are, they are not in agreement at this point. She gets to verse 10, and listen to how she describes him to these other people. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet as he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. He is, he is she is describing, like, I don't know if, if you understand poetry very well, but he just said, she just said, like, my guy is like the stuff. He is rock solid. His arms, you catch that? His arms are rods of gold with jewels on them. That's what Gloria said to me last night. <laughs> you are so, 
Yeah, no, she did not say anything like that. Right, like this, solid as a rock, like as a choice of cedars. Like all of the things, like just trying to describe, like, and this is how she's describing in order that he be found. So, like, I need you to look for the radiant, ruddy, black-haired, wavy, long hair guy. No, like, there is, there is something in that that is actually really significant. You see, I told you that we're gonna think about this in marriage, but also in the gospel. And so I want to first think about this in marriage. Did you desire to protect your spouse? Do not, do not simply protect them by, by reading the Bible and then like walking away but, and talking about them negatively. That makes sense? I don't, I don't want, I don't want to like oversimplify this. I do believe what I said just a little bit ago that we should protect them with the word and protect with prayer. But if, if it's like talking out two sides of your mouth, if you're going to try to do that and then you walk away and you, you don't speak of them like this, you simply ridicule them both, both in front of them and behind their back. I want to be very clear. Never speak ill of your spouse. Like, Maybe that's not clear enough for you, but plain and simple, never speak ill of your spouse. It is not helpful or fruitful or good. In fact, it's completely unbiblical. Not just of spouses, by the way, Ephesians 4.29 says to only use words that are there to build up. But I wonder, do you speak well of them? We joke. I, I don't expect you to necessarily go into a poem about the way your spouse uh, has arms of gold. But do you speak kindly of, of what they do and how they do it and that you're proud of them and you're, they bring a smile to your face? This might sound silly, but do people know that you're married? The people that, that you work with? Is that one of those things that you kind of like hope they don't notice your wedding ring? Because then they're going to ask and you don't really want to talk? No. So now let's consider this in the gospel. If in marriage you should be confident in your spouse, Right? so much that you, you believe that they would be able to conquer. And, and win. like the way she describes him is such a, a confidence in him that, that you can say kind words to them. But in the gospel, the picture that you must have is that you are confident in the power and might of our God. And so I wonder, are you that confident in him? Or similarly, are you kind of hoping that no one asks you if you're a follower of Christ because your, your life, the way you talk, the way you, the way you say things, you, you know that you don't reflect that you have a relationship with him? So you're afraid that someone might say, uh, like, ever been afraid that someone would invite you to church because you, you haven't spoken enough about your like uh, your relationship with Christ? Oh, they're inviting me because they think I'm not saved. 
Do you, do you speak well of Christ? For some of us, the question might be, do you speak of him at all? See, because we, we know him, we talked about this last week, because we know him and love him and he knows us in the way he does, then it, would, it should be that there's this overflowing desire for us to describe to others the beauty and majesty of Christ, what he has done for us, how he, how he provides this unbelievable gifts to us, like the armor. And so here's what I would say kind of as a, as a final point in all of this, right? So they, both he and she, are delighted enough to stay pure. There's a protection of purity. They are delighted enough to stay pure. So if you are in chapter 6, go to verse 4, and he is speaking, and he says, You are beautiful as Terza, my love. I, I do not know much of Terza, but I, I'm thinking it's a very lovely place. He then says, Lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I'm going to just pause real quick. And I know I've said this, but there is some translation here. And I, just, I don't need to be getting in trouble at your house. So do not say to your wife that she looks like goats. Because that, if you read that wrong, that's what that could be read as. So, but your hair is like a flock of goats. This is a compliment. Uh, leaping down the slopes of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. You have all your teeth. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one pure to her who bore her. Basically, he says, I can have, I can have others, but I choose you. I'm picking you. And she says, I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince. And here's what she says. I do not want anyone else but you. I go to this place where I, I, can, I can have other, there's, there's a chariots of kinsmen and I I see my prince, my guy. I found him. This is it. And so, of course, I, I, in marriage, like, I get it that, that there are times, I go back to that argument there are, that they were having in chapter five, that there are times that you will feel like, I don't really like each other. I love it. Uh, John Piper was in a conversation talking about this at one point. He said, like, but I don't like them. Like, so What? You made a covenant together. 
Like this is, this is more than just I like or don't like them. Now, I, I think you should try. I think you should work at that. There might be a whole other discussion about liking and whatnot, but I'm just telling you, uh, they both, in this case, they both hear and see that the other one chooses them. So I wonder if you know that your spouse would choose you. And that does your, yeah, does your spouse know that you would choose them? Chapter seven, verse 10. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Right, there is there's a, an awareness of that. You think, okay, well, how does this one connecting to the gospel? You see, in this picture, they find themselves delighting in one another enough that there is no one else. Before marriage, there's, there's not going to be anybody else. And once they're married, they're, they're not going to look to others. It's it. And in the gospel, what we find is great delight. And it's a two-way delight. It's, it's this beautiful picture. Did you know that the Lord delights in his bride? He is. Like, I, I know... Uh, I know that sometimes you might come here and hear a lot about how sinful we are and how wicked we are, and, and we are. And I'm not gonna stop saying that. Turns out the Bible says a lot about that. But I want you to know, I want you to hear a word of encouragement today. As a, as a part of the family of God, if, you are, if you're a follower of Christ, very much in particular, he delights in you. He could describe you better than these poems can describe their spouse. He would speak of you well because when he looks on you, he sees the righteousness of Christ and is delighted in what he sees. In fact, Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, quiet you by his love, and will exult over you with singing. There's a, there's a delight. I, I think about this singing over. You know, maybe it's kind of like uh, when you sing a lullaby to your infant or, or your, your grandchild and you're just holding them in your arms and you're rocking back and forth and you're singing whatever song it is. And it doesn't matter if it's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or Jesus Loves Me or whatever. You're, you're just singing like kind of sweetly over them because you delight in them. And in those moments, even if it's in the middle of the night and you're like, I really wish you would go to sleep, there's still something about this moment that is delightful. That should blow your mind that the creator of the universe is delighted in you. And guess what the church does? The, this, the bride. Scripture reminds us that the, 
The bride delights in the Lord. Like, finds joy and satisfaction and completion in the and, and this is all throughout Scripture. And I know that, that like, sometimes I just wish I could, I could go to every time we see delight or joy or satisfied or fulfilled or complete. It's over and over and over and over and over again. And, and sometimes I think we, we push that away a little bit. And because there's this ongoing, like, temporary uh, satisfaction, temporary uh, help or something that's out there in the secular world. And it's, it's very, very brief, but we like it. But I want you to know there is a sustainability about the joy and deep satisfaction that is found in Christ and most particularly found in his word. I do I think about Psalm 119? And I know that many of you are afraid right now when I say that, that I'm gonna read all of Psalm 119. Uh, and while I am tempted to do so, time says, not this time. So I want to read to you just a, a few passages from it. It says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. The heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. Your law is my delight. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Oh, how I love your law. Consider how I love your precepts. I delight in you. So I, I don't know what, what you came in with today. I don't know how your marriage is this morning. I don't know how your singleness is going this morning. I don't know how your workplace is. I don't know how your relationship with your children is. I don't, I don't, I don't know all of that. I, I can't. But I know that, that our God delights in his children and his bride. And I know that the bride of Christ finds delight in him and in all that he is affiliated with. And so I tell you, this is why we go to this book for protection. For protection of our our heavy, weighty emotions. We go here for the protection of our, of our mind. This is why we turn our eyes to Jesus. And we look full in his wonderful face. Because the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Remember, it is Jesus who is the answer to whatever your woes are. So, yeah, if you're single, protect your eyes. 
Protect your heart. Protect your mind. Psalm 119, right? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, by protecting it, according to your word. If you're dating someone, protect each other. Commit to fleeing sexual immorality. If you're married, protect your spouse, both with, with prayer and the word. And if you are listening at all, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You see, he's the only hope that you have. He's certainly the only hope that I have. And, and you can't make it. You can't work hard enough to get that breastplate of righteousness. You can't, you can't conjure up enough strength to, to earn the helmet of salvation. You can't do it. Your marriage won't be healed because you try harder. It will be healed because the grace of God intervenes. And so plead with him that he would. Go to the word and follow delight in his commands. As the praise team comes, I want to remind you that the Lord is our salvation. Your salvation is found in no one else. There's no hope in anyone or anything but him. You see, he protects us. He chooses us. And he delights in us because he has made us pure. And so as we respond this morning, I say this often, but there are, there are multiple ways you might respond. One, your response might be that you know you've never actually trusted this Jesus. This one that can change you, that, that offers you to go from death to life. Trust in him. Turn from your sin, turn away from your ways, yourself, your plan, and trust in Jesus, who offers to you the only way to be rescued, not just for heaven and not hell, but for right now. Trust in him. Call, like, literally, you can say a prayer. Thank God, I, I know that I need you and I can't do this on my own. I, I don't just need you, but I want you to rescue me. And I wanna, I wanna learn how to delight in your laws. I wanna learn how to follow you and obey your commands. Call you Lord. And if you've got more questions about that, we would love to talk to you about that. I'll be at the, the back door when the uh, service is over. But even, even before then, in just a couple minutes, there will be some who will be in this room to my left. They would love to talk to you about that. Maybe it is that you, your response during this song needs to be to pray, right? You need to begin that, that work of protection, calling on God to protect your marriage or to protect your, uh, your own purity of your thought. Maybe there's things you need to confess to the Lord, repenting of, turning away from. 
I'm no longer, David said this a little while ago, maybe there's been something that you were even reminded of that you've been putting in front of your eyes that you need to look away from so that you can turn your eyes to Jesus. And maybe it is that in the midst of all of this, a response today would, would be to sing, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. Not just a rescue from hell, which is drastic and necessary, but a salvation that affects every aspect of my life. So as we respond today, would you stand with me and respond to him?